Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, also on every, basically every major podcatcher and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Caleb Brown. Uh, we're continuing our series of the live reading of An Agoras Primer by Samuel Edward Conkin III. Uh, just so you guys know, I always remind you guys what how this works. Today's a live stream. Uh, if you're watching on the 11th and it's a public uh, available publicly, I will, you know, it, as soon as we're done, I will put it on private, unlisted, whatever. And then uh, in a week or so, I'll, I'll drop it as a numbered episode and it'll be public then. Um, and in the meantime, it's available for my patrons and, you know, for the low amount of two bucks a month at the lowest level. I have different levels, uh, the highest being the $20, which is a sponsor level. And at that, I have the perk being I read them off as my sponsors every time. So I have C.D. McRae of the Whiskey and Tea podcast. I went on a show a while ago. She's great. Uh, I have at SpaceCat2K on Twitter. Go follow him. He's good shit. Uh, I also, he just reacted. We, we were uh, we were joshing him a little bit last time, uh, me and Caleb, because uh, he dropped down. And then now he's back up again. Um, I guess he realized if he's going he's to drop Super Chats anyways, he might as well... Uh, might as well just be a, be a sponsor. So uh, I got back Jacob Wintergrad. He's a $20 again. Uh, he is of the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy podcast. Great guy. Uh, great guest. I've, I've had him on my show. I've been on his show. Uh, he'll never go on Tower Gang. Um, and, you know, uh, like I said, we're doing Agris Primer today. I do want to give you some rundown of what's going on with Tower Gang. Um, tomorrow, January 12th, if you're wa watching this later when it's a, as a numbered episode, it'll have already come out. But, uh, I'm sure it'll be a banger either way. We're having the guys from the Biting the Bullet podcast on, so that should be fun. And I also do want to let you guys know, uh, maybe you've heard rumors if you're in the in the, the Twitter sphere or Liberty circles, but Tower Gang did get Burt Kreischer to confirm uh, that he is down to come on. We have not scheduled a date yet. Uh, we're still like, uh, we just emailed them, like I think yesterday, last night or this morning. Uh, so we're just waiting to figure out a date. Uh, I'll definitely let you know when that happens. Uh, that should be great. He should fit in just just right with us. Uh, you know, you miss every shot you don't take, and that's uh, that's how Tower Gang's kind of uh, kind of worked out. Everyone everyone bitches about you know grifting and shit. It's like I, we're just asking, and it, it pays off sometimes. And it paid off here, and that should be lots of fun. As always, go check out Top Lobster. He's our secret weapon over at Tower Gang. He's what landed it. He made a great uh, piece of art for Bert. That's what caught his eye. He's done lots of great art for Tower Gang and my show and many other shows. Um, we're kind of partnered with him right now. Um, you know, use uh, Jose at checkout to get 10% off at toplobster.com. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and bring in Caleb and get to it. What's up, dude? Not much, man. Hey, that book uh, Christ episode is going to be the shit. Yeah. I, I'm, I cannot wait to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. I can't believe we landed. But then again, we landed, we landed shoe on head, and that was like way yeah, earlier. That, that's, that's cool, but like, but Christ, man, yeah. that's like, yeah, it's like one degree from Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, like, they're they're like, fucking homies. So, like, uh, but and Mark Norman are the only like comedians nowadays. Like, actually, I, I watched the entire special like when they drop. Like, they're just yeah. incredible. Mark Norman's um, the guy who's got like a little bit of the gray in the hair, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Bit, but still, it's like a boyish looking face, kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, he is great. He, uh, yeah. I, I just watched one with my wife the other day. It was pretty good. It was like a little 30 minute Netflix thing. So he has a special yeah. on YouTube where he um has a friend of his who's like fat. He goes, You got skinny privilege. It's easy to be skinny. He's like, Well, it's not that easy. You couldn't do it. And it's just, <laughs> I love it. It's like five minute jokes and just moves on to the next one. But um no, but Christ, when he got the machine coming on. Hey, maybe you'd have an answer for this one. How much does Top Rockster like charge if you want to like have to have him draw something? 
Like it's one off. I I don't know. I'm sure it's different for everybody. Uh, it works mm-hmm. out differently. I mean, uh, I mean, I, all I can say is DM him. Uh, you know, because I'm not gonna put put out his business. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he does it differently differently for everybody. But yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, anyone out there, you know, if you want commissioned work, hit up a Top Lobster. I'm sure he's willing to come up with sort of price. I don't think he has a set thing. Probably just. Come on, I don't know. I mean. I we we kind of I guess for me and and uh and Tower Gang and stuff it was just kind of we grifted our way into it. <laughs> so, you know, um grifting your way to the top, but you do. Yep. So, I mean, but yeah, uh I guess let's just go ahead and get into it unless you got any more uh, chitter chatter. Uh we have today's mm-hmm. chapter 5. We're going to try to knock out chapter 6 as well. Uh but chapter 5 should be a fun one. This is a libertarianism one which uh kind of how he's defining it is uh you know, I think he's more meaning like big L libertarianism. It's been a while since I've read this chapter and I didn't read it through before we did it. Uh, it's kind of fun just going through it again a little bit fresh uh, and seeing what happens. But th- this one might be a fun one. This might be one that pisses off some of the uh, the LP types. We'll see. Should is be fun. The, is there a dig up in the chat yet? I don't know. I haven't seen anyone in the chat yet. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I probably should have retweeted the, the Twitter thing, but I, I always forget to. But, I, uh, I posted it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't seen him yet. Maybe he'll pop in later. I'm in, in, in re, it'll be fun to, to piss, to piss him off. But, uh, I don't know if anyone else in here wants to, to whine, you're welcome to come in. Uh, I, I may or may not bring it up. If you super chat it, I definitely will bring it up depending on this. Or if you're a patron, uh, of the $5 level or above, I will definitely do it. And if you're the fighter level, I have a little, little code I give you guys to drop in the chat. To know, so I know you're a patron, but, uh, yeah, you, you ready to do this shit? Let's do it, man. Yeah. Um, all right, chapter five, libertarianism. The basic premise of agorist thinking is that counter-economics has failed to free society because counter-economics lacks a moral structure that only a full-blown philosophical system can provide. In this chapter, we deal with the other half of this problem, an ideology unconnected to reality. Where counter-economics is application with theory, libertarianism is theory without application. All right, I don't know if you got anything about that because that is pretty good little right out the, I mean, right out the gate. Um, I can't add anything besides uh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, this is, he's 100% correct. There's nothing to add. Yeah, which I think in the last episode, I kind of ca- touched on this point a little bit with the idea, say, with somebody like a drug dealer who's, you know, they're not really hurting anybody. They're just selling drugs, you know, just this example, and they're just doing it to make more money. Like, that is essentially, in a certain way, that is a... Uh, that is the application without the theory because the person's not really thinking it. And I, I'm definitely of the opinion that praxis is more important than theory, but they, they work together. Like I think, you know, yeah. you need to have both. And if you're in a spot where your theory doesn't work in application, you have a shit theory and you need to work on it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. My, my show is called face liberty and practice, not face liberty and theory. Mainly cause I can't, yeah. I can't say theory that well. Yeah. It's like, a, I don't know, I, I guess there is something to be said that if you have praxis and there's not guided at all by theory, you can be doing negative actions that don't benefit you or others at all. But I think to some extent, just actually doing something is a good move in the, in the right direction, yeah. even if I guess you're kind of doing something wrong. Uh, all right. Uh, now, first section, many gods, one morality. Libertarianism differ, differs from all, all other philosophies by its pluralism. It does not. It does not to ask how you came to the fundamental moral premise, religious revelation, atheistic observation, natural law theory, or many others. Christians, Taoists, objectivists, and pagans travel different routes to arrive at one moral code in common. Initiation of coercion or the threat of violence is immoral. This is a libertarian principle. I like that because it is. Uh, it does touch on how 
you know, people come through it for many ways. And, you know, yeah. it's kind of thin libertarianism at its, you know, at its finest. And I guess in a sense, you could say agorism is pushing to forge your own thick libertarianism, if you will. So, which I'm a fan of that. Um, two things follow from the phrasing. One, there are no exceptions. Hence, libertarianism affects all human action by this formulation. Two, it is phrased negatively so that anything else is permissible human behavior, though each adherent may find other acts immoral or objectionable. Christianity yields a yes-no answer to every aspect of human activity. So too, Marxism, Islam, objectivism, and many, many other uh, understandings of the world's nature. In these systems, anything not prohibited is mandatory. You must or must not. Libertarianism answers only that you may or may not, leaving choice to you. Any religion or ideology that swears not to coerce others to act in accordance with its precepts is compatible with libertarianism. All religions and ideologies that use force for anything save self-defense in the narrow immediate sense, excluding preventative uh, aggression and other such rationalizations, are enemies of libertarianism. I don't know if anything piqued your interest there. Um, no, I, mean, I think it's 100% right. Any religion is uh, workable with libertarianism or any libertarianism is workable with any religion. Um, as someone who's Catholic, I run into a lot of people who say, oh, you can't be a libertarian and a Catholic. Um, people who say it, they, they look at libertarian and overwalking entire moral framework and not just a uh, simple, is it force or not? You know, like it's really, it's, it's, libertarian all derives from a simple ethic. Is it force or not? Yeah. And so. Which, I mean, that is a good point that he, br that he brings up in there, that like religion is the whole, it gives you things to do as opposed to things just not to do. And I do think that we probably could riff on too there if we want to. I know the big thing as of late, and you know, it's not even as of late, it's been a talking point in a lot of circles is the whole idea of like, say, libertarianism being Christianity or religion without, you know, without the mm -hmm. whatever the driving force. You could probably apply it to other, you know, you could say it's Islam without Muhammad or it's Christianity without Jesus. And, and yeah. there, there's something to that. Um, there's a, there's a, how about it? I think that really applies libertarianism. For me, is um, it's Protestantism without uh, religion. Like it, it, it's you look at the um, objectives of say of, of uh, evangelical. They're gonna coincide with in the same ninety word for word go, but in a similar meaning of we want to create a utopia for happier people, pretty much. And I know it's not a utopia, libertarian, but to most people, it is a utopia because what you're describing is so off, outside the norm of reality. Why for Catholicism, I think all political goals are normally different because we're more monarchists often than not, and so we have a different we have a different we have a different practice outside. We have more laws, more we have we have a natural hierarchy we subscribe to in the church, so we are yeah. less likely to be a anti anti hierarchy libertarian. Let's give this our Syrian practice. All right, on the next section, libertarian society. Libertarianism's very pluralism prevents one from ascribing any unanimous characteristic to libertarians. They all want liberty, but for different reasons and see different ways of achieving it. Some would take control of the state and force others to be free. Others would not even resort to violence to defend themselves. Giving all those groups their due to enriching libertarian thought and life with greater variety than any other ideology, the rigorous, rigorous application of consistency to which agorists in this book adhere does settle some issues. Um, I do think I, I kind of want to touch on this uh, a little bit. It's... I, how do I put this? Um, like one thing I got from reading, I brought this up many times. It's not a, not a new talking point, but it, it applies here. Um, one thing that um, 
I, I remember I did the Emma Goldman episode for my anarchist handbook mm-hmm. thing. And the, that whole essay is about the, the, how majorities and minorities work within each other. And I, what he, I think he's kind of driving at here is that libertarianism, you know, as, as a whole is kind of this majority concept where it just becomes this mishmash of concepts where you kind of need minorities, you know, in this example, he's pushing for like agorism to kind of drive things one way or the other. Uh, and you can kind of also make the populist elitism type thing, which is in some senses is kind of saying that elitism you're kind of, but yeah. Um, a free society in, is one in which man is constrained only by unthinking nature. His fellow men leave him alone. One can personally live up to this, and one can admit only those who uphold it, expelling all those who don't. But one cannot prevent anyone from instituting aggression. One can only deal with it after the fact. Yeah, I want to... One of the things I've been talking to some people about and thinking about is security, preventing aggression, and kind of like the role that it has. And uh, I had Ace on uh, recently talking about prison abolition. And in the process of talking about, we kind of talked about like, prisons and the sex offender registry and this kind of things are attempting to punish someone for possible future crimes as well as regular crimes. And it's, it's really the idea, one, you can't really do it because uh, you can't predict future action. Two, the idea you could is scary and wrong. And so yeah. it's, um, I like the fact that he brings that up, but I think a lot of people you think as a lot of movies where they're like, we're going to get him before he does something. And that's always the bad guy. Some people would kind of get that fact. But mm-hmm. no, no people have yet to get that fact. All right. Status advocate creating a bigger criminal, a great monster institution which will terrify nearly everyone innocent or guilty into submission. This organization will extract some form of acceptance from its citizens and yet plunder them at will. Uh, Taxation. It will control their behavior and even their thinking. Though some status seek to place some restraints upon this super criminal organization, uh, some of those who advocate the strongest restraints as they perceive them call themselves limited government libertarianisms since they seek a small state or mini anarchy or mini archy or they are minarchists. Consistent libertarians see no place for criminals even to fight other criminals. They believe free market, all voluntary methods will take care of the few criminals. Finding them, arresting them, trying them, and restoring lost value to the victim from the aggressors. The means of accomplishing this vary from communal power to highly technological competitive business agencies and others in between, such as neighborhood block associations. Such no-government libertarians are called anarchists. The peaceful libertarians who refuse even to defend themselves have to be classified with anarchists. It is bitterly ironic that heavy state propaganda has convinced many people that anarchists throw bombs. Since most anti-war movements, draft resistance, disarmament, and tax-resistant groups were organized by anarchists of one sort or another, perhaps 0.01% of those calling themselves anarchists throughout history have used a bomb. 100% of all states bomb, shell, and machine gun regularly as a matter of course. A libertarian society is one which approximates a free society save for a small percentage of criminal aggression, which is handled by voluntary mechanisms. A society in which aggression gets out of hand is one with a de facto, if not de jour, state or government, a state of society. Got anything there? No, no, he's spitting facts again. Yeah, he's just kind of, this is one of the spots where he's just being more descriptive. Um, Libertarianism and the free market. A few libertarians advocate communal or neighborhood social organization with collectively held property, voluntarily surrendered. Most libertarians have adopted the free market and the economic understanding of it developed in chapter one. 
So whenever a conflict between the economics of government intervention or confiscation, statism for short, and free enterprise emerges in public debate, libertarians rush to the forefront of defense of the individual or non-state group. Libertarianism often confuses status of the left wing and the right by opposing both. Libertarians see war as total socialism and march with many leftists against it. Yet opposition to welfare statism allies libertarianism with some rightists. But status of the left and right are easily distinguishable from libertarians in any coalition. Threaten the state's existence and observe their reaction. Conservatives will give up free enterprise rather than see government abolished. Liberals will go to war rather than see government abolished. Libertarians will abolish the state and end both socialism and war. Have you anything there? I think this is a, this was true at the time. I don't know if this is the same for like modern uh, right. I think there's a lot of people on the right who would choose to see abolish federally and keep the local system. Yeah. Um, I think the left. That's, I mean, I'm I'm going through the book on um, uh, what's it called? Suicide of the West by Burnham, which is all about liberalism, and uh, he's claiming what liberal is completely right. I mean, they are, yeah, spot on. Yeah. Well, we're cruising through this one, but this is definitely one of those more descriptive ones, like the first yeah. couple chapters. Um, libertarianism in the counter-economy. Libertarian dissidents from Polish professors to American students make up an intellectual field of counter-economics. A Yugoslavian theorist raised in the Marxist tradition called for removing politics from socialism and embracing a market economy. All right. It would appear that there is a natural affinity between the philosophers of freedom and the practitioners of counter-economics. Indeed, few libertarians would deny the moral correctness of the latter. An early slogan some radical libertarians put on a button was defend the black market. Libertarianism in the United States traces its history from the abolitionist movement to free the slaves and act of human counter-economics. And yet, while many abolitionists created and maintained an underground railway to assist uh, slaves who freed themselves counter-economically, others called for upholding the law, working within the system, and engaging in politics to take over the government and pass laws to free slaves. The same division between activists and reformers afflicts modern libertarians and many other ideological movements, to be sure. Uh, I guess it sounds like here he's kind of setting up the dichotomy of, like, uh, you know, between, like, say, like, Honestly, I guess a little on the nose, but agorists and then like say like LP people or something, yeah. you know, break the law types and reform was in the system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, George Orwell, who came to a type of libertarianism from activism in the social movement in the 1930s, castigated some of his fellow socialists for refusing to dirty their hands and actually fighting for their beliefs in the battlefields of Spain. This perceptive author of 1984 and Animal Farm noted these hypocritical dilettantes proclivity for hanging around English drawing rooms and waxing eloquent for the socialist cause while contributing precious little else. He called them parlor pinks. Libertarianism is afflicted with more than its share of libertarian liber, library libs today. Some, though, are horribly paralyzed by the question, how do we achieve a free society? Which obviously Dude. is... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, this is that was a great part right there from the uh, names of them, like the library libs. That is mm-hmm. a great name for several people I know on Twitter. Um, what's the party? What uh, Paula Pinks? I, f- I keep forgetting George Orwell. As much as I don't like 1984, uh, actually did shit. Like he went yeah. fault for saying he believed in. Like um, and I love Animal Farm, so he gets a pass on a lot of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's yeah, library libs and how we get to free society. I mean, it just sounds like the uh, the post libertarian practice people read that line. And we're like, yeah, how do we get to that? Yeah, you know, but yeah, no, that's a. 
that's a main crux of agorism in the idea of like kind of go fucking do something like mm-hmm. it's because there are so many of us who are you know we were talking about theory earlier are just it's a highly engaged in theory and theory is great but if you don't practice what use of it mm-hmm. and i mean obviously people would you know say like something like the lp which i'm i know we'll get to at some point in here because <laughs> he very much has his critiques of the lp but i mean it, sure kind of no not really i mean you you definitely would agree with me, even though you're more for the paleo. Uh, well, that's actually why I'm excited to get to it. And we're going to yeah. come at it from two different angles. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's kind of the point of like, what are you doing? I, I get it. There's the messaging, but it's like, what are you what are you doing? And even then, I yeah, your messaging how not you your messaging one thing. I don't know how to run a political party. Yeah, like, you see what happened with the whole Mises Caucus thing recently. They don't know what they're doing. No one knows what yeah. to do in the Mises Caucus. It's sad. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes because they just had the, the whole Massachusetts thing, which I mean, at the same time, though, like we know that it will be that they'll end like to so the Massachusetts uh, LP thing. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll inevitably get back. They'll, yeah. they'll, but it, to, in what like what are they going through? Like, for example, right now they're trying to censure uh, Josh Smith for some shit. I don't even know what exactly, but a censure from my understanding. He, he's too good for the libertarians. Yeah. Yeah, but it, my understanding of what a censure is, it's literally just a, a, a formalized, that was bad. And that, that's it. Like, so you're going to waste all this time in this bureaucratic nonsense for this. And I get it. The, the Miskakis guys would be like, well, we don't want to do that. And be like, okay, but here's the reality. It's what's happening. Like, all this yeah. time is being wasted. Say with these different, you know, fucking, you know, it's been multiple times now. There's been some weird coup from the fucking, uh, well, the bitch fuck fucks or whatever it, it you want to call It keeps coming for the people to give concessions to. Yeah, like they keep giving concessions, letting people into circles, and they keep getting fucked over by it. You yeah. can't take the problem with the Libertarian Party that's the Big Ten. You can't take over a Big Ten party and still be a Big Ten. You have to kick people out, and they're not doing that. They want to still be a Big Ten and have the numbers, and it's like no, it sucks because of the people inside. Get one of them. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess the more point I was getting at is even even if you were. Even that critique aside, it's just the the idea that you're being bogged down in so much nonsense, and then even then, what is the end result? Like, it's like even if there is some sort of you know benefit that is you know extracted from this in the long run, and I'm sure Conkin will get to this and be like, it there'd be so much more that could be benefited by going other routes. Like even mm-hmm. something like what popular Pop Libs is trying to do, like with his stuff, like the way he's laid it out, it takes far less people. It's way more efficient and. Mm-hmm. You, you, like, I mean, but, but, I obviously, Jose, I'd have, it, huh? it raises taxes by 5% for some people. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, now. <laughs> Which, obviously, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with that entirely. His, yeah, his but method, but at, least, at least there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I, I don't know. But anyways, this combination of strategic paralysis, moral lassitude, honest confusion due to the rich variety of libertarian pluralism, and not a little selling out has weakened libertarianism <laughs> to the point where what is presently called the libertarian moment may no longer be trusted to defend the counter economy and achieve a libertarian society. The next chapter shows why. All right. Now we're in the next chapter, which uh, applied libertarianism. So I don't know if you have anything on that, in that last well, paragraph. Quick, have you read uh Ross Bar's like why he left the OP? Um, I, no, I haven't read it, but didn't uh fucking didn't uh pops uh, and, and yeah, just Pete, do it. yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. It's um, it's, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, the LP's been a mess for forever. Yes, I mean, it's just... I mean, when will we learn this lesson? <laughs> like, uh, 16 Mises caucuses from now. Yes. All right. 
And that's not to say that I don't, uh, you know, I actually very much identify with these people. I think mm -hmm. they have the right theory and stuff. It's just, yeah. I he's not my practice. people. I friends with all of them. Yeah, yeah I just, I just I think the wrong. The practice is a little fucked. <laughs> and you could be yeah. better served going in pretty much anywhere else. <laughs> like, um, all right. Chapter six Applied Libertarianism. A brief history of liberty. The history of the libertarian movement can be divided into four historical periods. The first covered most of our history when many men and women derived the ideas of freedom and defended freedom as they understood it with little comprehension of the mechanics of human action. Some of these, such as the Quakers of Pennsylvania, settled colonies away from predatory statism and developed peace and trade with the natives. I got to point out, anybody listening, uh, the Quakers are like the best. If I wasn't Catholic, I'd be a Quaker because of the history. They are – it's a great movie. Well, it was a great movie. Um, Friendly Persuasions. It's about um, a family of Quakers in the Civil War. And the, the North side, the South is coming to raid them. Um, and they're going, they have to decide if they're going to fight or not. And the mom won't let the kids fight. And then the one guy shows up. They show up and the dad wants out to fight. And it's a really great story about pacifism and religion. I just wish it was historically accurate. It was the North doing the pillaging to the South, but you know, still a good movie. <laughs> All right. The American Revolution erupted the year that Adam Smith published the first basic work on economics. Still, the confused American revolutionaries allowed the Federalist status to restore a strong central government by a bit of trickery called the Constitution, a piece of paper which supposedly guaranteed to restrain the new state, which, uh, God, it was a point... Uh, I, I, I was kind of like thinking on this recently when I did the Spooner episode because um, uh, I think Camille Foster, I, I, I on Twitter, like kind of pushed back. Uh, I don't know if you watched the episode and saw we were a little bit uh, we were a little rough on it. I'm not a fan of the Constitution per se. I'm sure you could make I could definitely think of positives of it, but I'm 100 percent on board with the revolution. Uh but at the same time, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not 100%, but there's definitely critiques. But the idea of a group of people sh shunning off uh, their chains of a government, and then, you know, it's the other, the, the second part of the, and then, oh, now we're going to reinstitute a new one is the issue. And then we're going to somehow restrain it. Um, you know, and I, that, that in itself is kind of the folly of violent revolutions as they naturally mm -hmm. get uh, co opted and then just, you know, um, which is kind of the main point of agorism. He's pushing for an agoristic revolution, which is different. Um, yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking about. Like, I'm reading about the French Revolution, all these revolutions, and it's like if the agorist way was done, it'd be very different because the intention is the practice of it is different. Which is very interesting to kind of think about how that would play out. Yeah, and even then, uh, I will say uh, the if this is more uh, from the other book, New Libertarian Manifesto, it's not necessarily even a peaceful revolution either. The way he lays it mm -hmm. out is. The idea is you get to a certain point, you put in the infrastructure by building up the, the gray and black markets, eventually get to a point where you where the, the gray, the your, the agora has grown to the point where we start having more. And there, you could even point out now examples of it. But you get to a point where you have more uh, private defense institutions and mm -hmm. you get to a point where the agora is large enough to go, oh, oh. Well, fuck you, and, and that's where yeah. the violent part comes in. Yeah, uh, and, and not necessarily violent in like a retributive uh, type way, but more in a like a. Uh, You're not gonna fuck with us anymore. Yeah, we're, we're gonna go. For, we're gonna go take all the people from prison who shouldn't be there, free them, mm -hmm. like that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's well, like the last I, phase. <laughs> yeah, I would love nothing more than to see like 
um, a Catholic diocese in a county of somewhere just kind of go, no, what this government's corrupt. We're not playing part anymore. And just like pull the diocese and everyone into their own sink. Like that yeah. would be the dream. That would be like if, if we can, if I could get Catholics to be agorists, which I think is compatible completely, uh, almost completely. They you have to pay taxes probably. Um, but outside that, like don't harm people. You know, it's, I'm not gonna get into it all, but I can make a strong case for Catholic agorism. Yeah, I mean, not to go on a side tangent, I do remember one thing stuck with me. I talked to, it's probably the first episode I ever did with uh, Jacob, uh, mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about, I think, was it Romans 13? The, you know, give unto Caesars what is due yeah. Caesars. And he literally pointed out, he's like, yeah, what is due Caesar? Is Caesar owed anything? Like, and, and like he even kind of made the point that, like, I think Jesus may have been, like, kind of making a point. It might have yeah. been a little bit well, of a pun, a joke. I, I have a problem <laughs> with those kind of translations. If you have to read, read, read Jesus and go, I'm going to infer something that's not written. I think yeah. that's a, a dangerous line to start walking. Yeah. I, I look at it more as a tactical pacifism as hey, pay Caesar unto Caesar because you don't your goal is not to violent revolution or be free. Your goal is to win souls. So what is the yeah. most tactically pacifist way to win souls? And that's what that's what I how I read Romans 13. But I, I'm not a Christian anarchist, and so I kind yeah. of read things differently. Yeah. All right. Uh do where was that? All right. Most of the revolutionaries, nearly all the signers of the Declaration, Declaration of Independence, for instance, oppose the Constitution. Can't Many see Americans. It, I, have were... wall. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a framed copy of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Uh, Many Americans were taken in by the status selling job and laid down their arms that were defending them, practically in exchange for the paper guarantee. As soon as the new government was elected, it sent the military to Pennsylvania to crush the tax rebels who opposed the new tax on whiskey distillation, which most people aren't aware of it. That's the f- Dude. literally the almost immediately the, the Constitution got, got fucked. Like. <laughs> you can't see it, but I have uh, on the self uh, History of Money and Banking by Rothbard. Yeah. And um, it is, if anyone's listening, um, it's, it reads kind of like line by line just happened. There's no story to it. It's just a list of facts in a way. But you read that and you can kind of infer the story. Um, the financial system of America was fucked before the Declaration of Independence. Like yeah. it was just a shit show, and there was no fixing it. Like it, it, it was terrible. I highly recommend people read that book. Yeah, no, pretty much anything Rothbard, but yeah, um, yeah. In England, soon after, a man named William William Godwin took the political ideas of the American revolutionaries to their logical conclusion and became the first anarchist. Which I mean, I'm sure someone could fucking quibble about that being the first. I anarchist, think Ace but... makes the argument that the uh, the Taoist or the Taoist in uh, China. Well, 500 BC were the earliest anarchists, but I haven't. Done, I'm reading them now, but I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. I'm reading it now. I don't see anything explicitly anarchist, and I, of course, reading is in philosophy is fucking weird. It's not mm. poetry almost, but I don't see anything there anarchist. In the 1830s, uh, European intellectual scene, a man named Max Stirner, fuck yeah, uh, he's ego in his own uh, great book. Um, combined anarchy with defense of the free market as far as Adam Smith understood it then and created a philosophy of egoism or total individualism. For a time, he contested with Marx and Engels for the loyalty of the young Hegelians and the German clubs. They wrote a two-volume defense of their theory against Stirner, uh, the German ideology. In the United States, Josiah Warren continued the anarchist tradition in Massachusetts. One of his abolitionist followers, Lysander Spooner, finally developed the killing argument against the U.S. state in his remarkable natural law treatise, No Treason, the Constitution of No Authority, which I cannot stress enough. 
if you haven't read that book and you have any sort of like, if you're on the fence about the constitution or even if you do love it, uh, read that and try to tell me it's not a bulletproof argument of why logically speaking, the constitution has no merit yeah. in that. And at least uh, in logic, I'm, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you could probably make some arguments in another way. I think Poppy Let's, Lib has, I think he's yeah. made some arguments around, but I, have, I don't know his arguments. Uh, real quick yeah. though. Uh, I shouldn't be adding to the book, my book list, but I want to do ego on its own on the book club. Uh, I need a guest. Would you be interested? I say get Magnus for that one. He might be able to speak. I, don't, on it I, I have I, I have him blocked on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be I the guess. best one for it. And, and I, I don't even know how he'd cover it. it. It really is one of those books that's so kooky that it's like, I don't even know how I would. I, Go about I don't know. It almost... Okay. It almost merits a live reading because, I mean, I, I'm trying yeah. to do like a condensation of it. I don't know. I, I, I thought, I think I might in the future, I was thinking about maybe doing a live reading with like Magnus or somebody. I know you have Magnus blocked, but Magnus is legit a, a, a I good guy. I, don't know what, but, I think he blocked me or I blocked him. I can't remember which one it is, but. I, I don't know. I, I would suggest, I know a lot of the Hoppian types and stuff don't like him and I, I get their reasons why and stuff. A lot of people think he's like a fed or some shit, but it's like, I know a lot of the fed stuff online. I'm just like, well, if he gets in your DM saying, Hey, let's go do this. Just be like, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, no, I will not help you blow up a federal building. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get all the, the freaking out about feds online. It's like, yeah, well, it's kind of weird. I know if someone starts getting your DMS or trying to convince you to do political violence, that just just don't like yeah like, i don't hard. know what you're so concerned <laughs> about feds for they're there one way or the other so yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not that hard to just think huh no what no i won't blow up this government building <laughs> it, it's not yeah. hard just say no <laughs> like I, I don't know unless you have some sort of surefire thing say with like sarwark with like the WikiLeaks, you know where he was kind of indicted to be most likely a fed unless you have something there it's kind of a silly witch hunt which it's like yeah. you're you're almost just better off assuming people are feds and just being like hey, okay well they're feds here you know just <laughs> I, my best one might be a fed okay <laughs> yeah i mean like i don't care um alas it was nearly a century late before the state was entrenched well enough to fight a civil war to destroy the remaining internal restraints on its power naturally under the pretext of expanding freedom by abolishing slavery Spooner saw through that smokescreen and supported both abolition and secession of the southern states. His follower, Benjamin Tucker, discovered Stirner's European individualism and combined the two traditions. The heyday of individualist anarchism during the publication of Tucker's Liberty, Liberty magazine from 1881 to 1908 could be called the second stage of libertarianism. George Bernard Shaw, for example, broke into the American literary scene through Liberty, the full title of Tucker's... Uh, Tucker's journal was Liberty, uh, the mother, not the daughter of order. I did not know that's where that uh, came from. Mm -hmm. I did not know Benjamin Tucker was that associated with that. Lysander Spooner. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to say, I love how he, he points out that the Civil War was kind of like the end of the American experiment. Mm -hmm. Like people who say American experiment is like failing now. It's like, no, it ended 100 years in. Like, oh, yeah. Years in, it was over. Which that's no. another great thing about uh, No Treason. I, can't, I really can't go on that buff because – while that is a while no treason is a breakdown of why the constitution is basically logically speaking horseshit mm -hmm. um you know uh, for what it purports to be a uh, a you know a government of consent uh, or whatever yeah. uh or you know but um god i totally fucking forgot what i was going to say um 
Oh, but uh, but it's also steeped in the Civil War because this is following the Civil War, mm-hmm. and he's also making he's kind of that point you're making there of that like, you know, one of his big reasons is like, hey, if there was any argument for it to be had, it just went down the drain. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like it, you completely undermined any concept whatsoever of this being on consent where a group tried to break off and say, we no longer give you consent. And then you go, no, fuck you. You're keeping your consent. Like yeah. that's not how consent works. No, <laughs> if, you, if you read uh, Lysander Spooner and you read Thomas De Winter's The Will Lincoln and you come out still like blue pill on the civil war, there's no hope for you. It's over. Yeah. You're done. You can't move. If you can't, if those arguments don't convince you, you're either stupid or blue pill as fuck. Yeah. That was the way. Uh, Tucker still had problems with economics, not understanding subjective value or the validity of rent, interest, and profit. While willing to accept anything arrived at freely, he and his associates spent their energies on side issues and invalid controversies. When World War I broke out, they lost the center stage of history to the socialists for half a century. At the same time that Tucker himself was giving up, brilliant Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises wrote his doctoral thesis, The Theory of Money and Credit, which explained interest... Uh, inflation and business cycles. His analysis led to an easy explanation and prediction of the Great Depression, but it went unheeded. In 1949, Mises published his magnum opus, Human Action. Along the way, he sent the communist economists into a panic by proving that the economic calculation was impossible when socialist status destroyed the free market pricing system. You got something to say? You sound like you're about to... Oh, you're muted. Oh, he kind of, I mean, I get he's not important for the for the uh, story he's telling, but he glossed over 1922's release of socialism, which, <laughs> in my opinion, is his best book. Like, it is <laughs> yeah. it's his best book. It also came out, I have a joke, um, 100 years ago, Mises released socialism, by, uh, socialism, and why are we still arguing about this? He saw yeah. it. It's, yeah. it's a great book. Yeah, I mean, he's literally going through the whole... Uh, basically the whole history of uh, libertarianism and anarchy and whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's going to skip over a few things. <laughs> yeah. he's, I guess giving over a few things, but it's yeah. I, 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 I point people listening. It is the best book so far. This is actually a pretty good condensed uh, history of libertarianism, anarchy, roughly ish. So. I'm always impressed with how well of a writer Conkin was like yeah. his two books. You read them and he knocked my idea. Like I can read them again. They're so the way he explained economics in the first part of the book. It's incredible. Yeah, he is a. I hate. I wish we got more from him because he was a. He was a great writer. Yes, he was very good at being concise because it's mm-hmm. like he leaves in all the relevant information, but it's still short and concise. So this is something you could give someone. Uh, uh, like if I mean I know I'm not like everyone gets mad. And you're like oh go read this, but like this is a short. Both of his books are short, mm-hmm. but they're very concise. They're very packed with information. And so you get a lot out of it and it's not this like daunting thing. It's yeah. not like, Hey buddy, uh, you're interested in libertarianism. Go read human action. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like, listen, but we're going to probably this episode, one more episode, finish the live reading after that, go read them yourself. And then on my podcast, I have Saudi Aguas talking about both of them. So you have plenty of easy read and long material for breakdown of it. So there's no excuse yeah. really. I just this hate agorism. Then there's no, yes. that's really no excuse. <laughs> During the 1920s and 1930s, proto-libertarians such as H.L. Mencken and Albert J. Nock kept the philosophy alive but in despair. One of Nock's students, Frank Chodorov, reached one of Mises' students, Murray Rothbard. In 1950, Rothbard connected with the American anarchist tradition and the modern libertarian stage began. Another of Nock's students, Susan LaFollette, inspired many modern libertarian feminists. 
More women, Rose Wilder Lane and Isabel Patterson, kept libertarianism alive in the 1940s. For 20 years, Rothbard tirelessly sold his consistent libertarian view in intellectual circles and was purged from the right, from objectivists, from the left, and various other groups, always taking a few more with him, never despairing. In 1916, I kind of want to touch on that too because it is it it is cool how Rothbard did kind of just he literally did jump all over the different practices and this is like different spots tried kept going he was I, I don't know there's not enough praise that can be heaped upon Rothbard really yeah um, in 1969 during the heat of the student revolt against the Vietnam War and the draft both the leftist students for Demo- democratic society and the rightist young Americans for freedom split eternal internally. The anarchists from SDS joined the free marketeers from YAF at a convention called by Dr. Rothbard, and thousands of young activists were unleashed onto the campuses to fight for pure freedom. Within a few years, there were a million libertarians in North America and small groups from England to Spain to Australia. Libertarians graduated and started businesses or entered the higher levels of academy, uh, bringing reinforcements to Dr. Rothbard and his previously small core. Libertarian reporters, authors, and even newcasters newscasters spread to the media which uh i know he's gonna get into it more probably but i mean you look at today uh like we forget how small things were but like look what we have today and the infrastructure we have in place it's it's quite something i mean don't get me wrong there's a lot of people you know kind of joking on the fed things earlier uh you know like there are ones that like kind of do glow and you're like, are you just a uh, controlled opposition? But I mean, even that aside, <laughs> like, there's my Palumbo. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. Based, right? You know, a woman oh and a gay God. dude. Oh. Super based. <laughs> I, I hate that the guy who got me the libertarianism is a Hannah, Hannah Cox fan. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, they could just be. I mean, it's kind of the thing where it's like Fed whether they're or stupid. Which one is it? Yeah, I mean, either way, same effect. <laughs> like whether you're controlled opposition or not, the end effect is the same. Yeah. Um, but Robert Lefer, another libertarian educator, contemporary with Rothbard, graduated hundreds of businessmen from his seminars and thousands from Rampart College. Leonard Red and his uh, Reed and his crew reached many from all walks of life at the Foundation for Economic Education. New foundations and institutes sprang up. Early in 1971, a group of Californians started a libertarian party as a front for distribution of literature and appeal for equal time on local media. In December of 1971, David F. Nolan convened a founding convention of a libertarian party in deadly earnest. Rothbard scoffed at the idea of a party as wildly premature. In 1972, an LP presidential candidate got few votes, but thanks to a renegade Republican electorate, elector from Virginia, John Hospers, professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, received one electoral vote. His running mate, Tony Nathan of Oregon, became the first woman to receive one. The elector, Roger McBride, became the LP nominee for president in 1976. The LP emerged from two sources, impatience and inconsistency. I like that. (laughs) Um, Good. um, In 1972, the student movement collapsed, uh, but the graduates needed years to affect society by working their way through the system and building alternatives outside it. This desire to achieve results now, get rich quick, was expressed in the return of many who had rejected the status system to re-enter it, though most of those entering the LP were not the politically cynical old-timers. 
the more raw recruits to libertarianism had little direct experience with politics and so accepted arguments that the party would spread the word to people used to receiving it via the biennial electoral process. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's, um, <laughs> whew, that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. It's still yeah. relevant. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Daniel, you are you are back to the twenty dollars level, so you you get the free free super chats without super chatting. Uh, NASA is fake news. The Earth is a spook. Okay. <laughs> yes, this hat is uh, completely ironic. Space is fake, y'all. Yeah. I'm religious. Right. I'm religious. I have to think that. Um. All right. Well, half the LP recruiters swore that the LP was an educational tool and would never win an election and take power. Huh. Uh, <laughs> the other, the other half promised the replacement of the Republicans by the new party and the transformation of society from the top down. Oh fuck! I, I I'm not gonna go on another tangent. <laughs> yeah, we we've, we've done some tangents already. <laughs> uh, 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 sounds familiar. Uh, during 1973, the party threat became serious, and the libertarian movement began to split. The anti-party li party libertarians called themselves various names such as New Libertarians left uh more consistently radical libertarians which i do want to touch on that real quick uh he says left libertarians and he puts in parentheses more consistently radical this is what i'm talking about where i've talked about before of how Konkin was defining the left he was more meaning it uh left in the in the term of like anarchy uh you know yeah. being more anarchist more not in the state more not utilizing the state um, that's what he means by left, which I do think that has its consequences, which I've talked on before and probably, I think, previous episodes of this. Yep. Um, radical libertarians and exotic names such as voluntarists. The common goal of these activists was to deflect the party anti-principle in the minds and hearts of most libertarians and pursue the original goals of liberty in libertarian. That is anti-political ways. The party arcs, uh, which is, I mean, this is a term he uses a lot. Uh, what's up, David? I see you in the chat. Um, as those who professed being ruled by a party yet call themselves anarchists were then called, uh, by the way, party arcs. I do want to stress that again, that is a common term Konkin uses. Konkin has a, has a good, uh, app. There's a few terms he comes up with. Uh, there's his own little words, party arcs. I mean, I don't know if he was the originator of it, but it's definitely attributed to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's probably the most noted person who uses it. Party arcs would be people, you know, advocating using the party. Uh, and their Minicus allies were small in number, but did have an advantage in getting newspaper and television coverage. Radical libertarian campaigns such as the 1976 Vote for Nobody counter campaign received pub publicity on several hundred radio stations and 50% of registered Americans, American voters failed to cast ballots. More and more pure libertarians gave up on the label as the word was, was increasingly identified with a group out to take political power as opposed to abolishing it. The new libertarians found that many who would agree to live freely and trade without aggression were repelled by the libertarian name. Huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Finally, in 1983, the movement of the libertarian left, the new libertarian alliance, and others moved to drop the libertarian label entirely. Some chose the name voluntarism. Uh, which that's where that term comes from. Uh, those wishing to promote the completely consistent ideology described in this book chose the name agorist. During the 1973 struggle, the challenges for an alternative strategy to politics were answered by the NLA founder who discovered and coined the term counter-economics. In 1980, the NLA published New Libertarian Manifesto, which explained agorism and beyond to libertarian activists, which uh, New Libertarian Manifesto was his first book. So, uh, yeah. 
Uh, we will Real definitely quick. touch on that at some point. One day. He mentioned earlier the Libertarian Party was just used to promote literature to begin with. Um, that's arguably the best they could do. Um, Which we have that. Yeah. Which I was about to lead into. Uh, why give money to a fair political party when you give money to either Jose or the Mises Institute, who yes. actually do a better job promoting things than the entire fair Mises Caucus? Yep. And it's not, doesn't have the. Uh, the negative externalities that come with utilizing a political party. So I think we'd be in a much better place if we somehow, I don't even know how you would do it. If you somehow magically abolish the libertarian party and just use it for infrastructure for the Mises Institute, that'd be the way well, to go. This is how you, you have poppy libs one for the LP. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think really the only way it works, which is kind of my main point. A lot of people will say shit like, Oh, well we have this libertarian party and it has our name in it. And so we need to use it because otherwise our name will be besmirched for one. He was kind of getting at here in the, in the past couple paragraphs. A lot of people were just like, well, we'll just drop the label. But that aside, even if you don't want to drop the label, it's like the alternative uh, argument is if you say, Oh, well it has the name in it. So we should fucking, we should use it because the name is like, or the alternative is, we should try to distance ourselves as much as possible and let it just relegate itself to irrelevancy. So, right. <laughs> like, I, I vote that option. Yes. Uh, did you do? Uh, okay. Uh, I guess do, does do they do, do they better? Do better? Who do better? Uh, a Mises Caucus or Mises, Mises Institute? Yes, I would say the Mises Institute does a better job of spreading libertarian ideas in the Mises uh, Caucus. Yes. Yeah, because when you. They're not being strong-armed by political incentives. And, and not just that. With you, are we, there are Republicans who will read the Mises Institute. There are not Republicans who are going to join the Mises Caucus. That's just kind of a fact. I'm going to state that as a, a fact because I think that's reasonable. Okay. I, I do want to touch on this because this is the same exact argument people use for, let's say, like Ron Paul. Love Ron Paul. Great guy. Fucking yeah. goddamn angel. But mm -hmm. people will always say shit like, oh, well, Ron Paul for like utilizing argument for political action. That's totally a logical fallacy because its idea is like, like what if we just rewound time that because you found something through this that there's no other way or not even that that like that you wouldn't have been convinced otherwise like yeah something probably would have came along just because a political apparatus did it that doesn't mean the political apparatus is the ideal to way to go about it so god damn it daniel i know you pay me 20 bucks a month but <laughs> there are independents who won't join the gop though yeah okay how many independents are there by comparison I mean, there's not a lot of these people. And honestly, most independents don't actually vote. So it's just, it's a non-argument, Jacob. Sorry, Daniel. His name's Daniel. I have to remember that. Uh, oh, shit. I just knocked myself. Uh, I, no. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, you didn't see the chat, but I just, I, I mean, I don't think there's a, Is there any you don't have to. I mean, I'm not. Use the system you are forced into to destroy it. I don't think it's it's not necessary, nor is it a more compulsion yeah. user system. I mean, I can make an all practical argument for it, but I don't think the way you describe it is a uh, true. No, I mean, yeah, because I mean that's kind of the argument with me and you are coming from different angles. You're from the paleo, I'm from the agorist, but I, I would say it's really just a more an argument of what works, and I'm of the yeah. argument that I think uh, not utilizing the system is the best way to go about it. Um, you know, so. Actually, that's why I say I think I talk to you more as an agorist is you are from the argument it's not practical instead of the argument of it's immoral to use political power, which I think it is, but I think I, I appreciate the fact it's more of a practical argument than a principled argument because the principled arguments get boring. Uh, most of the country doesn't vote and are independent, so it's not heavily committed. Okay, I, I don't know what your point is. Yeah, 
Uh, okay. Yeah, most of them didn't vote, which is a good thing. We said take the people who don't vote and try to encourage them to vote. Um, yeah. But they're not going to vote. For, if they already don't vote, why would they waste a vote on someone who's not going to win? Yeah. That's that's just a... That's, take yeah. I love you to death, but come on. <laughs> uh. All right, anyways, the libertarian failure. Uh, uh, I know you said you'll shut up now, but I think this part might make you uh, read some more. Um, libertarians were and still are a pluralistic group. Different interpretations of liberty and how to achieve it were cheerfully tolerated for the most part. The appearance of a party line was anathema to the spirit of living variety. The burning issue shifted from which new libertarian theory works and which does not to which libertarian candidate can get elected. Huh? <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, see how see how the uh, how the things shift when you have certain incentives in place. <laughs> um, but too many libertarianism was a fine theory which had no obvious practice. Um, there are many paths to freedom, true, and each individual should choose the one he or she thought most workable. One that was chosen swallowed up the others. How it did was simple. It tied into the state's grant and monopoly to ideologies that form a centralized political party and then spokespersons of that ideology are automatically representative servitors or functionaries of that party even when they rigorously, or vigorously deny any connection uh, by the status media. And then again, maybe not. Libertarian may have come to mean LP member, but agorists, voluntarists, left libertarians, and uh, such still outnumber the few thousand LP members and even the new, the never since matched million voters or votes their uh, candidate Edward Clark received in the 1980 U.S. presidential race. I don't really touch on that because I, I don't really know if yeah. if we added up all the non-people, if that really... But yeah. it, I want to point out, I, I hate the distinction between small L, big L, libertarian, based on big L means party. I, I'm a little dyslexic, and when I type, I, I auto-capitalize random letters. I hate when I type out big L, libertarian, and it was, oh, I saw you joined the party now? I was like, no, of course I didn't fucking join the party. I just spelled <laughs> libertarian. Shut the fuck up. And I, I get so frustrated with that big L, little uh, nonsense. Yeah. Um, whether or not libertarianism failed and died, perverted, so near to 1984, Orwell's deadline for tyranny's triumph in the form of an all-powerful party, or was simply a stage in the evolution of agorism, building a theory to explain and morally defend counter-economics is a moot point. Both positions are, in a sense, true. Agorism is here and viable for those who wish to live as freely as possible now and increase their freedom in the future. What now calls itself libertarian, Big L, cannot honestly offer that anymore. I hate that. Th those who understand this will reject the libertarian party and other political solutions to the status problem. Those who accept the LP will waste their time, energy, and wealth in building a new means of keeping people in bondage under the thumb of the state. All right. Well, we're in the next section, the libertarian insight and fallacy, unless you have something to add to that. No, um, he's right. Libertarian theory provide the crucial insight as to why counter-economics is morally correct as well as obviously practical and very profitable. The crucial issue was that of the state, its nature, and its evolution. The easiest paradigm, short model, for the origin of the state was offered by Franz Oppenheimer, a German social, soci, sociologist and adapted into American libertarianism in, Edward, in Albert J. Knox's 1935 book, Our Enemy of the State. All historical examples fit this simple paradigm. When most of humanity settled into peaceful farming communities with perhaps larger marketplaces, remember the original Agora of Greece, in towns, some people discovered a means of surviving parasitically from the productivity of others. 
They formed robber bands and attacked towns and settlements, plundering, raping, and murdering. Probably the original barbarian hordes were hunters who, who took to hunting man when their game died out rather than taking to farming, trading, or productive manufacture. Those, these roving groups were a small minority, or their victims would have died out and they as well, but large as compared to a single town or village. Somewhere along the way, one of them discovered that they could allow the peasants to live with enough to survive on some or on and come back at the next harvest for another raid. This is totally like straight up from uh, Nine the Estate, too. I was about uh, to say. Yeah. Uh, then these raiders had another idea. They would stay in the same town, steal lightly but regularly, murder enough to keep the peasants and merchants in line, and live well. Other areas, seeing these petty kingdoms arise, decided to submit themselves to their own homegrown warlords that they would not fall prey to foreign warriors. The book of Samuel in the Old Testament describes the anarchist prophet Samuel trying to convince the Israelites that they, did not, they didn't really want a king, but finally giving in to them. I, 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 I was muted, but I was dying of laughter at the, uh, and the anarchist prophet Samuel. I, I'm not going to get into the biblical arguments about Samuel being anarchist and not based on anarchy, but I think um, I could go into a lot about that. I maybe want to talk about DM me on Twitter because it's cool stuff to say. But I, w- I would say... It's cool that he called him that. That's a cool name for him. But <laughs> uh, I know, I know, popular liberty probably get get a little chub for that one because I know he likes to talk about how they were they they the uh, the Old Testament Israelites were a, a form of anarchy essentially. Um, yeah, they but, were, I would say the covenant community who were the monarch was yes. uh, absent was God. That was the monarch, yep. you know, and so they wanted to substitute a new guy to be an arbiter for God, and that was a mistake. But all right. Parasites must remain a minority or kill their hosts. So they discovered religion and later ideology as a means to intimidate peasants and win the all-important sanction of the victim. Well, we'll and quick, apt- you, go ahead. Part by a parasite must remain a minority or kill their host. Uh, real quick, people listening, this is why a fetus is not a parasite. I, I, every time I hear parasite, I have to clarify. When I hear definition, it's like, yes, that is that's something I argue about a lot. Is like fetuses are not parasites. And so I just want to add that after that line. I'm not going to read it, but you are a paying customer, so I will bring it up. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, sanctioned the victim in apt phrase of Ayn Rand's. Brutal thugs became kings by divine right, and some very powerful status called emperors, pharaohs, or sars were said to be divine, the unstoppable choice of gods. And so these barbarian raiders institutionalized plunder, taxation, murder, execution and warfare, and even rape. Droy de Segnor, for example, which I believe that was the, uh, I believe that was like the right of the kings to like take the, the woman or whatever. I don't remember. They took control of roads to plunder the caravans, tolls, tariffs. They suppressed all rival criminal gangs with their own police mm-hmm. and all established their own churches, schools, judges, and even philosophers, minstrels, and artists to work in their royal courts. Two things from there. One, if anybody wants to read about, um, <sighs> Certs is uh, the state finding people to represent their own certs. Um, this is a great book, Politicizing the Bible. It's uh, by Scott Hahn, and he kind of goes through a lot of it. He talks about um, times the government found a priest or someone who's like, hey, we could buy you up and have you read this this way to justify our power against the Pope, who was oftentimes there competing for power. But also, I want to respond real quick to this guy here, uh, The Road to Power, the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, I'm not arguing for conservatism, uh, uh, David. I'm arguing to use a conservative platform for libertarian mm-hmm. ends. I'm not arguing for conservatism. So I, I don't think that's a fair criticism of my position is. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. A lot of people do a lot of the paleotypes accuse them of being like, Oh, you're going to take over the Republican party. And I don't think any, 
any of you guys, I don't really feel like I've heard many of you guys advocate for that in any way, shape, no. or form. It's a matter of, hey, we see somewhere that we might be able to you know, shift one way or the other, mm -hmm. or even maybe on a localism type level, make yeah. differences by utilizing the R. Uh, but yeah. Well, it's also that the fact that the people who are most affected or affected against their consent with the lockdowns and all this government tyranny is libertarians and conservatives. The left wants it. So if we're going to mm. have an ally who's going to be next to us in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the, in the, in the box call, why don't we work with them now to try to prevent some of that? That's the yeah. only, that's my only argument. It's not always to be conservatives. Yeah. As people come to understand the situation and especially important questions of conscience split religions and ideologies, dissidents grew. The state learned to survive by adapting. It used its courts, thinkers, intellectuals to come up with new ways of mystifying the people. The and King's the state is great on that yeah. point. And uh, yep. elites, uh, intellectuals aside from Hopper, is also great. And I think that's like the, the, this is one of my points I've always been making. The, the, the state's always going to have intellectual power. And for the longest time, that was the church, which had problems. But now it's universities, and that's much worse. And so I think they understand that it's always going to be intellectuals and becoming those intellectuals in any way you can is going to be a good thing. Yep. All right. Uh, boo, 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 boo. The kings limited themselves and shared their plunder with aristocrats and certain favored merchants. Thus was born mercantilism, which Adam Smith challenged. Then even peasants and workers were permitted to plunder their fellow merchants, farmers, and workers. This was called democracy. Groups were allowed to organize to fight over who should steal from whom. Though an elite of bureaucrats and very rich businessmen continue, no matter who is elected, and thus reform political parties. I don't know if you want to riff. I know you, you're a big hopper guy. I am as well. You touched on yep. democracy. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what he says is pretty much correct. There will always be, and like, what's the, what's the joke? The tree comes a government, and then there's really only two. It's like, there's democracy, oligarchy, and um, monarchy. Or the, yeah, and it's like this is only two. There's democracy, the monarchy, and oligarchy, and it's really only one oligarchy. It's like everything is in, everything we have is always an oligarchy that just hides itself in different ways. Yep. Yes, Daniel, that is you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Love you, bro. <laughs> the libertarian analysis superbly explained the political history of the world and combined with free market economics analyzed. Depressions, modern warfare, and revolutions describing their causes and predicting the futility of political solutions. When libertarianism began to organize, organize itself, though, much of the movement was bought off with yet another political party. <laughs> um, but to understand the libertarian fallacy, consider its insight in other terms. I guess I do want to touch on that real quick. Um, you said that it describes the causes or in predicting the futility of political solutions, but then we're going to use a political solution to get our ends, uh, which I know you would agree with, but especially in a libertarian sense, it's kind of like, okay, like we completely describe the futility of it, but then it's, oh, well, I'm not trying to, it's not a political solution. You're like, yeah, but it kind of is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I see my, my thing is I, I don't object to the uh, polit uh, politics can make a change. I think that's kind of um, one of the ways you can make a change on a, especially on a, really on, on a local level. Cause if you don't have the oligarchs, um, so I don't I don't agree with that. It. It's inherently a mistake. But the libertarians who do say it's inherently a mistake, and then they go against that one idea when they become Mises Caucus or party types. And so it's yeah. Which I mean, to be fair, they're like, oh well, we're going to use it for messaging, and it's, so we're not we're using it for its unintended purpose. It's like, but by th that saying it right there, you're kind of that's kind of the whole point out where I get incentives. You're like, okay, well, this thing has a purpose, mm -hmm. and you're going against its purpose. Don't you think it will inevitably return to its purpose? Yeah. Like because 
that's its incentives. Um, like, well, I have a problem with a lot. A lot of um, music Congress people, they don't like political theory in a sense. They don't like the laws of politics, like the Iron Law of Oligarchy and stuff. And they say things like, well, these, well, it's too personal. You know, it's too individualistic to have a set law. You have economic laws that apply on the same basis. But you love Austrian economics for economic laws. These are the same principle. You have laws based on personal action that you can make a set, a set norm about. It's the same principle, except uh, except political laws as reality. Yeah. To understand the libertarian fallacy, consider its insight in other terms. Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer and Nock pointed out that there were only two ways to acquire wealth. Food, shelter, tools, entertainment. One could produce some and trade for others, or one could steal those produced. Those are all the choices there are. They named the productive way, the economic means, and the parasitic way, the political means. Uh, which that's kind of what he's getting at. Um, but Murray Rothbard following L Ludwig von Mises's human action with his own economic treatise, Man Economic, economic Economy and State, added that insight into Australian, uh, Austrian economics in the final chapters. Demand for elucidation was so great that he wrote in detail an entire book on the subject, Power and Market. It's amazing that for a time, even Doth, Dr. Rothbard forgot his own lesson, the choice <laughs> at power slash politics versus market slash economics. Using political means to achieve free market ends is self-destructive and self-defeating. All right. Uh, the recognition of the libertarian incompatibility of status means to anti-status ends was the first agorist insight. Following that, the new agorist, which I, I do want to say, actually, I want to touch on that real quick. One thing, I don't know if it's in this book or if it's in New Libertarian Manifesto, but he does say something like your your uh, your means should uh, comport with your ends. I don't remember exactly how he puts it, and that's kind of the mm -hmm. point he's getting at. Um, you know, you're basically the idea of utilizing a political party is inherently political party uh it kind of is you know it's uh means but you're trying to you know achieve a different ends by something yeah. that doesn't you know can it yeah. doesn't I comport mean, with the you, end if you want to get like so be somebody maybe this is something you understand i'm gonna get a little philosophical everything has a teleology that is like geared towards the ending at you know like it's the purpose of a table is to be a table there's a reform to fill the table a political party's goal is to be a political party and that means there are certain things a political party has to do to be considered that. And if you're trying to use it for outsiders means, it's going to be ineffective at that. That's just as yeah. simple as it is. Yeah. Um, uh, the, recon the recognition of the libertarian incompatibility of status means to anti-status ends was the first agoristic or agorist insight. Following that, the new agorist looked for the proper means to achieve a free society or at least a fully libertarian society. They sought market means only. The author of this book and his companions found the counter economy staring them in the face as soon as they thought of looking. All right. The next chapter is agorism. It's quite long. That'll probably almost be its own episode. Yeah, uh, so we're not going to, we're not going to get into that now. Um, I have a few questions for you about agorism actually. Um, sure. So I, is, does it mean, I know the Mies Institute isn't like a political thing. It's just an economic thing and a serious thing. Um, is there like an agorist thing, like a site that, that has agorist resources or I know agorist nexus is one, mm. um, you know, that they, they do a lot of articles and stuff. I, I think he, I want to say Konkin had his own thing. I can't remember what it was. I don't know what its current, uh, situation is, but I, I can't really recommend too many in the day though. We're getting to this point though, where, you know, things are so decentralized. You can just, you know, Sal the agorist is great for this. Obviously me and him don't hundred percent agree on everything, but, yeah. You know, Agorist Nexus is great. Uh, you know, Sally Agorist. Trying to think of other like Agorist, you know, oh, uh, resources. I'm, I'm, 
want to point out if you're a Christian, a uh, techno agorist on Twitter. He is a Christian pacifist agorist. Good dude. Right. Came on my podcast. Um, great guy. I met him in person at Tom Woods' event. He doesn't look it, but that dude's like 6'2. He's a tall motherfucker. And I thought he was like, he looks so still because the way the camera's egg. I'm like, oh, it's like five something. You know, yeah. and I bump into him. I'm like, Jesus Christ. He's just it, huge. It is, it is funny when you meet all these people you see on camera and stuff and you see Nick how they Astley. Really look. Nick Astley yeah. scared. I see, I'm like, there's no fucking way he's that tall from all his jokes on Twitter. He's yeah. tall as shit. Yeah. And I'm short as fuck. Um, yeah. I wasn't expecting that, honestly. Yeah. I, you weren't, I, I know. I knew, I knew you were like tall. But I wasn't expecting yeah. the height I saw. Yeah, I'm five five, but I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's not super short, but it's it's pretty short. But I also think kind of my build makes it even more ridiculous because I'm pretty thick. So. Kind, of, kind of, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Just a little yeah, bit. yeah. I don't mean thick in like a fat way. I have a buff dad body. You, so you are stocky. It. You are yes. husky, and in, in the yeah. good sense. Yes, I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I always keep myself like a month or two out from having like a six pack if my wife ever leaves me, but, uh, I, <laughs> I see no reason to stay ripped now cause I'm married, but I keep it close just in case it's a short insurance policy. You know, I love that. But, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, Daniel says, I don't see any utility beyond messaging and local nullification. Uh, but I do concede you can do that in the GOP. Yeah. I want to put uh, uh messaging like one local nullification. If you agree that is a go, it's going to be done better in most locations. On the DOP and messaging, when you come at someone from an ally perspective, you come at the right from the right. You're going to be coming at the right from the right on the right of the party. If you're coming at the right from, you say you're coming at them from the right, but you're coming at them from the position of libertarianism, which is not right to them. And so you may be speaking in their language, but if they see you a libertarian, you are the enemy. And so you have to come at them from the right on the right, not just speaking it, but actually being on the political party. Yeah, I mean, and you know, like I said, like we pointed out in this episode, Akari, already, uh, the messaging aspect, like, sure, yeah, you might get some messaging there, just like Ron Paul had messaging as well, but I do, and I've actually addressed the Ron Paul thing, we're not going to go into that at detail, mm -hmm. I do think uh, in some ways it's a little bit self-defeating, and that's not to say there aren't benefits, like I said before, if Dave Smith runs, and he, say he actually gets the, you know, say somehow all this shit gets straightened out, all the craziness going on, the LP and stuff, you know, which that I think you do have to take into account all the craziness and the bureaucratic nonsense that uh, goes into it, and how much energy that takes away. Uh, so that really is a cost. So you gotta, you gotta, in, instead of just looking at the positives and not then you also have to take into account the negatives that go along with it. Uh, you know, like say, he has, I, and I'm not at all saying if say he becomes the presidential nominee, I'm sure he would probably, he would probably affect you know thousands or you know. Uh, tens of thousands of people or hundreds of thousands, maybe I don't know about millions. That's a I bit think pushing he's more it, likely but... to get his plane shot down by Russian agents like the other guy in the uh Zumbert society. I, I mean, I don't think so, unless he actually became like well, a legit so, threat. But, yeah. but you know, I mean, that, and that's actually another point. Like, if you actually ever had a candidate that was actually any sort of threat, even messaging wise, it would be taken care of. This is why um, I, this is why people who like Von Trump and like he wasn't a sweat because he's still alive. Yes, that's, that's what I'm arguing about Donald Trump. Yeah, um, which, I mean, but my point is again, as it's kind of like there is a cost to this messaging, and the cost is you may not see it in the short run because you'll see like, oh, cool, we got this guy out and he changed all these hearts and minds. But it's like, okay, but how much energy do you did you use in the in the process of doing that? How could it have been applied elsewhere? Also, what are the long term effects of this? Like, you know, I mean, essentially, like my one of my main things is that it's going to you're going to like say i think if say if dave did become the libertarian uh, party candidate 
he would probably grow the party quite a bit. I yep. think he would actually likely probably get the highest percentage of the vote of any libertarian candidate probably ever. Mm -hmm. And But at the same time, though, cool. Eventually, that energy is going to die down. It's going to return to the types that it got it before. And cool, you just left your enemies with a larger thing to work with. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I, and I want to I want to point out on this whole point, like the energy being spent. Um, Jason Stapleton has made the point before that I, I know you see these people on Twitter, they are doing nothing in their personal life. They're posting memes on Twitter about the Mises Caucus, and then when they succeed, if they succeed, they're going to take credit. And if they fail, they're going to say, "Well, all I did is post memes," and actually made no progress in life because it's a it's a surrogate process, like Ted Kaczynski describes. Yes. Actually, do something for yourself, which is why it's important. Like, I'm learning how to play the piano. I'm doing school. I'm doing this as a hobby. I'm actually doing things in my personal life that is a fulfilling process. That's where my energy is going. Yeah. You know, don't put your energy into something that is a surrogate process. Yeah, I like to use the common example of like gambling. And I think that is a good and apt comparison for what utilizing politics in general is. Because mm -hmm. what ends up happening, say with a Ron Paul or say Dave Smith does get the candidacy. What will happen is everyone will see, look at all these hearts and minds change and look at all this great movement and all this energy that came to it. But it's like, okay, yeah, you hit the jackpot. But, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're someone who's now you've just bought more into this, you know, this gambling thing. And it, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like an old lady who played the, the, played the slots her entire life and wasted, uh, tens or hundreds or even millions of dollars of her hard earned money to play play the slots and in her head she's like well fuck remember that that time five years ago when i won the jackpot like yeah. okay <laughs> like, sure <laughs> kind of yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah that was good that one time it's and like in what's that love dave smith i think he's like one of the best libertarians i i actually don't know how well he's going to sell to the people because the libertarian, what they're into is very different than what a boomer or even like, like a trad con or conservative is into. I think someone running on leads and the skanks is going to this alien him from actually making any like the argument is he's gonna get on CNN. Joe Zorgers have never made it on CNN, you know, and she was he was their kind of person. I don't yeah. see Dave actually making it on the show. It'd be great if he does. I don't see it happening. Just because he's a wonderful office. He might get on the IDW, Lex Friedman, Vince Apilo, yeah. which would be fun. Yeah, that's it, what I was about to say. Because I actually think you're right. But at the same time, I don't think that's a negative. I actually do think it's a positive. And I do think uh, I do think if he leans into that, when they're like, oh, look, this time you said the N-word. And he just goes, like, Chad meme, yes. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, well, okay. Like, it's kind of the same Trump effect of like, we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to try to get you for these. Oh, you said grab him by the pussy. This guy. Yeah, I fucking did. Uh, what about it? Everyone's <laughs> like, you have called women pigs, hoes, fat, only Rosie O'Donnell. That yeah. moment is killed it, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's kind of the, it's, it's, so I actually think he would do good in, in that way. The only reservation I would have about is how hard would, maybe not necessarily him, but maybe like the, the LPMC or the LP in general, how hard would they really go on messaging, especially when they've already shown themselves to be amenable to possibly allowing people who aren't on board with this messaging to be possibly in leadership positions or be welcome in the fold and, and not in a way of like, you can be here, but in like a, Oh, your voice is heard kind of way, you know, like, yeah. cause how hard is he really, I mean, like I've said before when I had Aaron on, uh, or when I was on Aaron's show, kind of like it, the only way I could really see it working is if you were like, if you had the kind of messaging where you'd be like, yeah, fucking Lindsey Graham's a fucking 
homo. Like that, that guy. Like to where you're shameless. To like to like hard to the wall type. But like now, if you're to this point where you're like, oh, you're being kowtowed. Oh, we can't really hit on the uh, on the the negative of the the trans movement or this or that because this might the, maybe we should lay back on that a little bit. And not to say they don't hit on it all, but there's something too where you have this influence that pulls you back a little bit. You know, yeah. maybe not entirely. Uh, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. You may, um, I'll, I'll address all yours cause you pay. This is what you get for being a paying customer. Australian economics. Haha. Funny. Yeah, I know. I, I said Australian instead of Austrian. You know, it's, it's, I didn't even catch it. Yeah. I said Australian earlier. Um, say so we can chew bubble gum and walk at the same time and not everyone needs to, or should do the same thing. No, I don't. No. I, I think I even addressed this last time. Uh, literally what agorism is, is in its form, pushing for entrepreneurialism and to say that's the same thing is to not understand entrepreneurialism because yeah. that is a, in a near infinite variety of possibilities. So, you know, I, all we're saying is there are some things that aren't amenable, just like this would be like, if I said to someone, Hey, you shouldn't rate people. That's not a good idea. Like, hey, not everyone needs to, or should do the same thing. Like, uh, Okay, well, I, I mean, obviously not the same exact example, yeah. but my point being is there are some things that I think don't work well towards your ends. And I think yes. anyone can agree with that. The idea of like, oh, well, we should all do our own thing. Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying maybe some things don't work well or yeah. or, or there are better things that can be done. Uh, you know? yeah. I mean, this is the so. same kind of argument libertarians make when it's like, oh, what's well, a private company? Well, they, yeah, they, they, people can do things and I can say that's wrong. That's going to be yeah. crazy. Also, <laughs> the biggest point is like you should evangelize things outside of politics. You should like if you you evangelize things that you think are like like better. Uh, getting involved in politics does not make someone's life better. Solving a problem makes their life better. Second, mm. if you're going to be building things, how about you build something effective or you build coalitions of people who are going to help you? You're yeah. not building anything useful and you're not evangelizing anything useful. So you, you're wasting your time with both of those. You're yeah, and evangelize then- Christ. And, and, and kind of built into the evangelist uh, thing there is the idea of like, oh, well, we're going to use the LP for messaging. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's not an apt thing because right now, if in this example, I'm an evangelist. Dave Smith was an evangelist before he even had anything to do with the LP. So like it, it – and I get it. Yeah, you get a little bit of boost, sure, but like at what cost? And that's kind of our whole point. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, real quick, I want to point out these uh, two super stats from uh, David. Uh, the biggest platform Zill got was Ben's appeal. He didn't yeah, super and, chat. And- Don't address him. <laughs> Oh, yeah, um, I'm just kidding. You can if you want. He's completely right. Um, Ben Sapir was the biggest show Joe Jorgensen got, and it was and so it was quick. A joke. <laughs> I, mean, it was cr- I watched it. First of all, he didn't even put it on his YouTube channel, he put it on the radio only. So that is just like how cringe it was. So, yeah, uh, also, I like this one over here. I like Caleb, he makes the mo- one of the most competitive cases for GOP strategy. Thank you, David. Right, you have. I like Caleb, but that, that just tells me you haven't looked much into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, about to, I was about to say, it's like. I, I I like I think I do all right, but so Bishop in democracy from there. I mean, come on, there's there's a lot better people than uh than me. But thank you. The the political arena is a giant point to fish in. Yeah, sure, because you guys keep fucking doing it. Have you guys ever actually caught a fish? Maybe yeah, that, exactly. Maybe that's the question. Like, how about you got a guy with a bigger boat who actually catches fish with the right bait? I'm saying. Oh, he said I said one of. It just you should have left it that. Let him feel fucking. <laughs> let him Come feel on, good. man. I was feeling good. I was gonna go to bed all like, yay, I'm yeah. all right. Anyway, um, I gotta plug something real quick if we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, we're about to do plugs anyways. Go ahead, drop your plugs. Okay. Um, I have uh, Aaron from a uh, 
time on Earth. All right, that's it, I, guys. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I have Aaron and I have a uh, Nate, the real contrarian guy on Twitter from a Reality Zars. They're coming on a podcast to do um, White Fragility by Angela uh, Angela D'Angelo. <laughs> that's just going to be a, a lot of fun. And I, I hope Aaron doesn't get my channel taken off. <laughs> that's about uh, it. Yeah, I know. That's that's why we we're, 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 why we keep badgering you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, other one is um, February twelfth. I uh, I'm having Thomas De Lorenzo on for the socials, and I'm having um, Gold Guy, Caleb Salmon, uh, Cordoria, uh, Repair Twentieth Century, and Adam Patrick all on for a a symposium on when did things go wrong. Um, yeah. And so we're going to try to debate and figure out when did things go wrong, and it's going to be. Everyone's gonna be drinking. Everyone's gonna be arguing, and I'm gonna have to play moderator. So it's yeah. gonna be fun. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, but once again, congrats on the deal, Renzo. Hit. I know you're a big stand for him. Yeah. But uh, oh, on Aaron, I actually I think I'm I'm going on his show uh, Thursday. I don't know when he drops the episode and stuff. So I'll be going on there. This will be my second time going on there. And, and like I've said before, I'd like I want to get him to do the Agris class theory with me because I think he'd be he'd be fun for that one. He's a uh, he's a fun guy. Yeah. I um, did, um, I did a we uh, Nate's podcast realities all, and we did. I was on as a uh, guest co-host, and my first time ever taking uh, two edibles. Um, and I just I I don't remember half of what happened. I remember at one point Nate went, "Caleb, you all right?" I'm like, my eyes were like half like I was like I'm good, man. I don't I don't remember any of it, but yeah. it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, with my plugs. Um... Uh, I have the this is the No Way Jose show. I'm on YouTube. I'm on all the major audio podcasters, Odyssey as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at 2020 No Way Jose. I'm also the same handle on uh, Getter. If you want to follow me there, uh, I might. I'll be honest. I don't really pay as much attention to that as I do Twitter. But you know, I, don't know, I guess it's good to have the backup. I mean, if it, I, I don't know. Whatever. I'm willing to try new things. Uh, if you want to give me money, patreoncom just No Way Jose 2020. You can be like Daniel if you pay me five dollars or more, and I will. Keep bringing up your shit, even if it's nonsense. Um, but um, yeah, like, share, subscribe, comment, all the good stuff. Yeah, definitely go check out Daniel's show. Go check out Caleb's show. Uh, with that, we are out. Thank you for coming on, bud. This is fun. Uh, I would say we probably have two more episodes. There's only two more chapters left of this book, but the next chapter is very long. Um, I don't think the last chapter is as long, so it'll probably be a short episode. But I, I don't see any way we knock out the last two chapters in one episode. So I think yeah. we have two more on this, And uh, but I'm looking forward to it. These have been fun. So oh, yeah. with that, we are out.